Today's scripture comes from James 2, 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what, good is of, what is of good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith has, was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness, and was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you were walking down the street, passing by a bunch of people, maybe you're at the store shopping and there are all these people around you, would they know if you were a Christian? Would they know what you believe? It's kind of difficult, right, to be able to look at somebody and know what we believe. Now, perhaps we might be wearing some symbol like a cross necklace. Perhaps we might be wearing a t-shirt that has some like cheesy Jesus phrase on it or something like that. I used to wear those all the time in middle school and high school. Perhaps they see us carrying around a Bible or something like that. But if we took away all of those things, would a person know that you were a Christian? Maybe a better question would be, how could a person know if you were a Christian? Do we want people to know if we're Christians? What does it mean for somebody to know that we are Christians? Uh, Jesus answers this question, how would a person know if you were a Christian, pretty plainly uh, in, in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, they will know, they being everybody, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Or perhaps you're more familiar with the hymn, and they will know that we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes. If you love someone, if you have love for someone, does that mean that you simply believe in their existence? If you love someone, does that mean that you believe in the things that they have done? If you love someone, does that mean that you believe that they love you in return? 
I guess what I'm getting at is, yes, that, you, that is a part of it, but really that's the most fundamental basis for even noticing any human being, believing that they exist, believing in the things that they have done. Yes, they have lived a life of some amount and some account. That's the basic necessity for noticing another human being. So I guess if, you, if your love for them stops there, can we really say that it's love or is it just, no, is it just noticing to believe someone? Instead, maybe we should ask, how would you know or how would a person know that you love them? Any thoughts? Maybe we'll make this a little more interactive, huh? Make y'all uncomfortable for just a moment. Give me a little feedback. What's something that you have done to show that you love somebody? Tell them? Yes, hey, that's a great, easy, simple, perfect. What's another way that you have shown someone that you love them? Cook them dinner. Cook them dinner, perfect, awesome, yes. Any other thoughts? Give them a hug. Excellent. Yes. Anything else? Give them gifts. gifts. Perfect. Y'all are hitting all of these great, uh, all of these. What's that? Go to their ball games. games. Yes, show up for them. Absolutely. (laughs) Hang out with them. Yes. Take them to dinner. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, we know. We know how to show love. In fact, all of these things that you all have said uh, so far are are chunked down into five categories, according to a man named Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. You might have heard about this, but he essentially says that there are five different ways that we show and receive love. And they boil down to this. Number one, words of affirmation. Tell them you love them. Tell them that they're, that, that, uh, they're doing a great job. Use your words to affirm who they are. Number two, quality time. Spending time with them, showing up to their games, just being around them. Number three, physical touch. Giving them a hug. It's pretty simple. Number four, acts of service. Cooking them dinner. Yeah. And number five, giving and receiving gifts. Just giving them something that you think will be meaningful to them. So those are the five love languages. And and consider for just a moment, what do all five of these have in common? They are all something that you have to do. If you're going to show somebody love, if you want them to know that you love them, there's something that we have to do for that. My wife is very much a words of affirmation person, and she has this uh, ritual every single day. Why do you love me today? Every single day. Why do you love me today? Because she wants to feel that love with with those words of affirmation by something that I can do. I'm very much a quality time kind of person, so I'll say, can we just like sit in the same room together? That's all I really need. If we can just be near each other, that's perfect. So these five love languages remind us that showing love requires that we do something. And how will they know that we are Christians? They will know that we are Christians by our love. 
Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, I say all this to say, to kind of pick up where we left off in James last week in the whole just do it concept of things, that James is very much a practical individual. That there is something for us to do. And it can't just be believing. Our faith cannot stop at belief. Belief is great. Belief is a foundational part, but it can't stop there. If you would like, ask the question, how does belief change the world? It doesn't. That's the honest answer. And you might push back against me, but I would ask you to consider, is your answer an action? If it is, then we'll be getting to that in a moment. Belief by itself doesn't change the world. I believe, and I believe this very strongly, that Taco Bell is the superior fast food restaurant. I see people shaking their heads thinking that I'm crazy, and I'm perfectly fine with that, but I believe that with all confidence that Taco Bell is the superior fast food restaurant. But just because I believe that does not mean that everyone else will too. My simply believing that Taco Bell is the superior fast food restaurant does not, in fact, make it the superior fast food restaurant. It does that by itself. That's just Taco Bell for you. No, instead, my, my belief doesn't really change anything for anyone except for me. I just end up going to Taco Bell a lot more frequently than any other fast food restaurant, really more than any other restaurant altogether, because I love Taco Bell. It's a problem. My belief does not change anything for anyone else except for me. And we, as a people, who might call ourselves Christians, we are not called to a solitary holiness. Belief is but a foundation. A foundation on which we build a tower of, wait for it, good deeds. I love uh, James, James is really snarky. He, he's a person who, like, who, who just likes to push your buttons to really get up in your face and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you want to go? Let's, let's talk about it. Let's get into a heated debate here. And, and, and one of the ways that he does this shows up in verse 19 of our passage today. He says, you believe that God is one. In other words, you believe in God. Very good. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder kind of saying, you believe, great, you're doing about as much as the demons do. He's really like winding up that hand to give you a nice slap in the face. Like, okay, let's get into this. But here's the thing, James even pushes the buttons a little bit further to say, you know what? The demons actually go further than you and your belief because the demons shudder. In other words, their belief in God causes some reaction for them. Their belief in God, as twisted as it might be, whatever it might look like, James is saying, their belief is superior to yours because at least they are impacted by their belief. They shudder. Their belief causes some kind of impact in their life. And that is what faith is all about. It's not simply believing in something. 
Because we can believe in a lot of things, but belief doesn't change the world. No, it's about letting that something that we believe in impact us, challenge us, even change us. That's what faith is all about. Belief is an important part. Don't get me wrong. That is an important part of all of this. But belief is only the foundation on which we build a tower of good deeds. Our faith is meant to spur us on to action, to activity. Faith is trust in action. In other words, faith is manifest in works. The Greek word for faith that we see most frequently show up if you were to look at the Greek, translation, Greek translations of scripture, that Greek word is pistis. And pistis has a, a number of different definitions, as all Greek words do. They're uh, a fun abstract language there. Uh, but pistis, we translate most often as faith. Sometimes it can be faithfulness. Sometimes it's belief. Sometimes it is trust. But no matter the definition, there is always an implication that is tacked onto it. Whether it's uh, pistis, whether it's faith, faithfulness, belief, trust, it is always with an implication that actions based on that trust will follow. It's one of these words that carries a, a, a weight of implication. And that implication is that actions based on that faith will follow. There are, we, we use a lot of words in our language that have uh, an implication like this. The, the one that first comes to mind for, I don't know, whatever reason is party. If you were to look up the definition of a party, you might see a number of things. One thing that you probably won't see in that definition is the word fun. But there's always an implication that if you're going to a party, you're going to have fun. It's one of those words that just carries an implication. Pistis in the Greek word carries that implication with it. Faith, faithfulness, belief, trust, whatever it is, it will always be, incorporate, be incorporating actions based on that trust. So the impact of faith is that it produces actions, works, fruit, deeds, kindness, love. Put in whatever word you'd like to put in there that, it, that follows this. This is what faith is all about. The believing part is just the foundation. But what it produces is what makes a difference. And yes, don't get me wrong, I know, I know in my core we, that there are these verses like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 that tell us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. This is an important piece of scripture. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Let's make that very clear. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Okay. And James is not one to make an argument to the contrary. James actually completely agrees with this statement. Unfortunately, the people that James is talking to, they don't quite understand what faith is. They stop at belief. And James says, okay, why? Your belief hasn't changed anything for you. Your life doesn't look any different because of your belief. So do you really have faith, James wonders. See, instead, 
of challenging this notion, James is instead asking, if your faith is not producing actions, if it's not producing evidence of its presence, then what good is it? What good is it? James uses the analogy of faith being dead. That's what he says. Faith without works is dead, which is a similar expression that we employ uh, in our daily lives. Uh, anybody have one of these with them? Yeah. Uh, what happens, what do we say whenever all of a sudden the battery's drained on this and it doesn't turn on anymore? We say that my phone has died. Yeah, it's dead. Well, we know that it actually hasn't died um, because with a simple action of plugging it into a charger, boom, it's there again. We use the expression of, of death to essentially say that our phones have become useless. If the battery dies on this phone right here, it is, I mean, truly useless for all except for maybe a paperweight. And nobody really uses paperweights anymore, right? I, I, I don't know. Do, do you use paperweights? I don't use paperweights. I feel like they're kind of futile. But anyways, that's all it's really useful for. If this, if this battery dies and I don't have a charger to plug it into, it's useless. There is no life in it. They serve, it would serve no further function. It is pointless. This is the very same concept that James is trying to put together for our faith. If it's not doing what it's supposed to do, which is producing works, then it is pointless. There is no life in it. It serves no further function. It is dead. Dead faith is faith that does not reveal itself through actions. James isn't trying to say that we are saved by our works. Rather, he's trying to say that if you want to know that your faith is the kind of faith that is a part of this salvation narrative, then it is the kind of faith that shows up in actions. It shows up in what we do, how we care for one another. It shows up in our love. That is the meaning behind the expression that James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Would you be able to show somebody your faith without doing anything? You can't speak. You can't move. How would they know? That's the very simple point that James is trying to get here in a very complicated and, and frankly, rude kind of way. You can't Show your faith if you don't have any actions that are supporting it. So James says, show me your faith without works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Because that's how it works. Faith is trust in action. Always with the implication that actions will follow this trust. James is ultimately saying, you know what I want? I want you to show us that your faith is alive. Show us that your faith is alive. And so, my friends, that is my challenge for us today. Just that. My challenge for us today, show us that your faith is alive. James recalls two figures in his passage here. 
Abraham and Rahab. But before he does that, he makes another snarky, snide remark uh, when he says in verse 20, do you want to be shown, you senseless person? Like how ridiculous and foolish can you be is essentially what he's saying here. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Consider Abraham. Abraham was called to take his son Isaac, Isaac who was supposed to be the answer to this promise that God made with Abraham, and take Isaac up onto this mountain a ways away and sacrifice his own son. And Abraham doesn't just believe God whenever God says these things. Abraham follows through. And it's a really dark and weird story. I mean, what on earth is going on here? You're taking your son to be sacrificed. Super strange. Uh, but he does it. He lives out his faith. He takes it and runs with it. And then James pulls up a second person. And this is an unexpected person. First, he, quote, he, he brings up Abraham, the father of the faith. Right? This is, this is the Abrahamic tradition. Christianity is part of the Abrahamic tradition. He brings up Abraham first. The second person he brings up is Rahab, who is, number one, a woman. There's already a mark against her because people did not think women were capable of a whole lot during this time. Number two, she was not actually an Israelite. She got incorporated into the Israelite community after her actions, but she was not actually an Israelite. So that's another mark against her. And number three, what was her occupation? James actually lists it. She was a prostitute. Can I say that word in church? It's in the Bible, so I guess so. Her actual occupation, right, is a mark against her because how on earth could that be like a good hero of faith? But James brings her up to simply say, even this person... A woman, non-Israelite prostitute, was faithful in her actions. James is being real snarky here. He's being real rude and he's trying to hammer the point home that essentially says faith without works is dead. If you believe this gospel message, then oh my goodness, let it show up. And so in this calling, to show that our faith is alive, we ask the question again, how will people know if we are Christians? I think we have to start by the way that we act. And I think that that action has to be in love. And I think that that action and love have to be guided by faith. So let us push our faith beyond quiet belief and onward toward loud and exciting actions. Let us show the world that our faith is alive. And let us pray.